Hey, everybody. Just wanted to remind you, if you would, take a moment and go to your favorite podcast destination and leave us a nice review, if you would. Uh, also, don't forget to rate us if you get a chance. Uh, that would really, really help us out a whole lot here. And, uh, you know, maybe we could earn some money off this thing every now and then. Thanks a lot, guys. It's everything that was written in red. It was everything that we were told to do was was look out for, the, for our brothers and sisters that are in need, um, that a man should be paid for an honest day's work, an honest day's wage, that, um, you know, we need to look out for the, the immigrant. We need to look out for the, the widows and the, and the children and the orphans, and we need to look out for each other. And so, you know, for me, it was, uh, it was a natural way to just continue that fight. Alrighty, boys and girls, welcome in. Another fine week, Alabama politics this week. I am Josh Moon. That is... I'm David Person. Good to see ah. you, Josh. Good to be yes, here, as always. Yeah, I guess we're just going to continue doing this thing by Zoom. Is that how we're going to Is that how we're going to operate? I mean, I guess. I mean, you know, it's, it's working, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's working pretty well. Yeah, uh, we haven't had any complaints. It's, yeah. You know, we we don't like you guys by Zoom. So I mean, as long as, yeah. as long as there are no complaints, I guess we're okay. It's working, man. You know, mm-hmm. I mean it. And quite honestly, uh, you know, I don't have to subject you to me sitting around in my skivvies. You know, I can <laughs> I can just sit <laughs> here in my skivvies never, and be comfortable. That never happened before. So that was. Uh, <laughs> uh, I never, I've never had the uh, yes. the skivvy subjection. Uh, yes, but, uh, you never have. You never. No, have. Uh, no I appreciate yeah. that. I appreciate yeah. the pants. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, but uh, no, it's uh, you know, listen. I, I I think it's fine too. It uh, you know works out works out pretty well. Really works out well for uh, for guests. Uh, mm. You know, to uh, you know, we can just call them up and then do the Zoom, and everybody has kind of got comfortable with that now. And and so uh, you know, it's a whole new format, whole new world, I guess. And we'll just keep doing it this way. It's so, not the world we grew up in. But it works for me. Yeah, it it's, me. I wonder what's going to happen with a lot of TV stuff. I find a lot of I, I, I'm a I'm, I'm one of those people that gets into a routine of things. Uh, you know, like I can eat the same same exact bowl of cereal every morning for breakfast for you know forever mm. uh, until until the people at Kashi uh, discontinue the cereal that I'm eating. Which I'd really like to talk to whoever's over there because they've done it to me twice now. Uh, so uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but you know, so I'm, I'm, I get into these routines of things and, uh-huh. and it just throws me off. And so I'm that way with the TV shows, like, you know, the, uh, the tonight show or the late show or whatever that I'm watching it. It's hard for me to watch some of those things, uh, without the audience being there and without mm-hmm. the, the laughter from the audience and the interaction with them. Uh, it, it, I don't. I don't care for it as much. It just, uh, so I hope that goes back to normal. I know it, uh, at the V show, uh, the voice of Alabama politics that we do, we are actually going to go back to studio shows starting next week. Hmm. Um, but now that's going to include only Bill and Susan in the studio. Okay. And then I will be there by zoom or whoever is on with panel with them will be by zoom. And so we'll, they're just going to run it that way. But, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. that's uh, I guess that's life now. You know, we're yeah, I think so. I, I'm yeah. I'm I'm good with it though. I think it's uh, I mean, I agree with you about the late night shows and and some other setting, and obviously sports. I mean, sports will be yeah. more enhanced with uh, with more people in the arenas or on mm-hmm. or you know and so forth. But hey, you know, in the meantime, uh, you know, I'm just I'm just glad they're still playing. 
you know. Yeah, and yeah. Oh, I am too, man. When they yeah. I, like I said there that that little that little deal back about this time last year where we were without anything. I mean that we had Netflix and nothing else. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, at this point a year ago, and uh, you know, and then I, I guess it was baseball that came back first, uh, and uh, you know, and and I, I would have watched them play wiffle ball. Uh, you know, <laughs> at that point, uh, I really would have, and uh, uh, you know, and the NBA came back for a yeah. while and had the had the the weird season, and uh, but it was uh, yeah, you're right. I do you know the NCAA tournament has been great. Uh, you know, with all the upsets and and things that have gone on there, and so it's a it's it's been a nice distraction for things. But uh, and and we need them uh, because you know one thing that I wanted to to start with uh, because I don't know that you and I have ever had a conversation about firearms and guns, uh, hmm. but we have had two. Uh, really terrible mass shootings, not yeah. other any other kind of mass shooting. Uh, but we've had uh, two mass shootings in the last couple of weeks. So one at a grocery store, and one at uh, at several uh, spas in Atlanta, uh, and a grocery store in Colorado where ten died, including a police officer. Uh, yeah. And I don't know, have they come up with a motive for why this person went in? I mean, other I haven't heard this, one. I haven't heard one yet. I haven't heard so, one reported. No. You know, we our our state legislature had announced prior to this because they're great with timing that they were going to take up some uh, gun bills. Uh, they call them Second Amendment bills. Um, uh, coming back from this uh, spring break uh, next week, which I know what that means, and you know what that means. We, they're mm-hmm. going to figure out some way to relax regulations and laws on on either purchasing or carrying a firearm in this state, um, or pass some pandering bill that says the feds can't impose a law which they can completely impose and there's the, the bill will be worthless uh but that's what they're going to do and you know at a point man at a point you got to take a look around what's going on here and say um you know maybe we ought to think about what we're doing um uh, and that that point has apparently not been reached yet for republicans uh, but I don't know how we can continue on the track that we're on with with guns and firearms with the attitudes that we have towards them. Because I, to me, if you told anybody in the in the world, if you say to them, you can go into any sort of retail store that's open to the public, and you can purchase today. This deadly weapon that has uh, really just this the standard potential. I mean, no, nothing special, nothing you know changed or altered about the the this weapon at all. You have the potential to kill dozens of people with this thing. You can purchase it today with only somebody running a, a, a quick computer check, which doesn't really check everything, as we found out about the guy in Boulder. He had some prior. Uh, issues there uh and and you can walk out of the store with it today with enough ammo to kill as many people as you want to kill there would be nobody alerted at the federal government or at, at the local government or anywhere else uh you could strap that firearm in the state of alabama you could strap that firearm loaded load it up and strap it to you uh and open carry it around the store that very day uh, that you know, before you even left the store, you could just walk around with it. Uh, you have you have this potential to do this in this state, and there is no requirement for training. Uh, 
There is no requirements for a safety course of any kind to tell you how to use it or load it or anything else. And the person that's selling it to you may or may not have any idea about guns at all. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. and I, I, if you say that out loud, the insanity of that is off the charts. And I don't have a problem with people carrying firearms, but. I mean, I, I would like for you to have some knowledge of what you're using. It, it seems to me that we have created this attitude of if you have a gun, you are safer. I mean, this is the attitude that we have that, that I think a lot of gun owners in this in this country uh, and especially in this state have is if you own this weapon and carry it, you are safe. And it doesn't everything else is is outside of that. And I think that is a terrible statement. Well, it, it's not only terrible. I think it's 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 really just uh, uh, it's just farcical, really. I mean, if you think about the current political climate, you know, to add on to what you're saying, if you think about the current political climate, Republicans in Congress and in state legislatures across the country are acting like a vote is more dangerous than a weapon. Mm-hmm. They are going through all sorts of gyrations to try to limit, restrict, suppress people's ability to vote. And yet we see people being killed, you know, 10, 15, whatever the number is or more people mm-hmm. being killed then these mass shootings and the the attitude seems to be, yeah, we don't need to worry about that. We don't need to regulate that. Everything is fine just as it is. That's a that's an aberration. Well, how many aberrations are we going to tolerate until we decide that there needs to be common sense gun legislation that would at least give us the ability to screen out people who, for obvious reasons, mental health, uh, criminal backgrounds, you know, there, there ought to be some, we ought to be able to screen people out for common sense reasons. We also ought to be able to track who's got guns and how they're using them. Mm-hmm. You know, we ought to be able to just some basic thing, not saying you can't have a gun. Yeah. You know, but yeah. just track it. And then, like you said, if you have a gun, there ought to be some, you know, in the in the state of Illinois, before I could get a driver's license, what did I have to do? I had to I had to go through a driver's ed class. Yeah. You know, in the state of Alabama, it's the same thing. You got to go to a driver's ed class before yeah. they'll give you. So why in the hell is it that the expectation is you need training to drive a car, but mm-hmm. you don't need any training to drive a gun, to have a it's gun. It's insane, man. It's it really is. I mean, to think that you know you to to do this with a car, you've got to go out and prove to some person yeah. sitting in the car. In most states, it, yeah. you prove to somebody who sits next to you and watches you operate the car. Yeah, you got to prove to that person that you're capable of doing so. That's right. Uh, you know, which uh, that's very reasonable. Why should you not have to prove that you know how to handle? carry, uh, safely store a firearm 
the same way. I just I don't I've I've never understood that. And you know, I think there should be tax incentives for for smart weapons. Uh, you know, if you if you would put a, a like fingerprint that. lock yeah. on your mm-hmm. on your weapons to keep them from being fired by anybody, I think that you ought to get uh, you know encouraged to to you know because I think not only does that solve a lot of accidental shootings in the home, mm-hmm. I also think that solves a lot. Of uh, of the guns getting out on the street through theft and other especially things, especially for stuff. that, especially yeah, which is for a that major problem. You know, mm-hmm. you, you know, no, it's still a gun. You can't use it. You know, you're mm-hmm. gonna start throwing bullets at people. Um, you <laughs> <Right>. know, <laughs> you know. I think right. we ought to do take the Chris Rock approach and make bullets cost five thousand um, dollars. Uh-huh. You know, because uh-huh. you know, it's uh-huh. a, well, listen. I'd like to shoot you, but I can't afford it. Can't afford uh, it. You know? Yeah, that's great. But no, yeah. I, in yeah. all seriousness, I. I think that there are a number of reasonable things that you could do that would not infringe upon anybody's right or ability to own and carry a firearm. And as a matter of fact, the people that are the biggest gun nuts out there, I think, would mostly have their life altered not a bit. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I, I have one question for you, though. Yeah. With everything that we're talking about, which I, I think is important and I think hits on the key concerns that most reasonable people have. I have a real concern, though, about the right to open carry. Mm-hmm. That's a, I, I don't have a problem with a person being able to conceal carry. I don't have a problem with a person having a gun in their car or their home. But the idea that you somehow have a right to parade around, you know, in any public place that you want with your weapon on display, mm-hmm. I've got a major problem with that. I, I, I think it's disruptive. I think it's it's uh, borderline terroristic and it just should not. And I, and I think it's very provocative. It's a provocative mm-hmm. display. That that could lead to problems and 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 certainly feed into the sense of entitlement that a lot of people seem to have anyway. Yeah. You know, I think uh, sometimes I kind of view it as a um, a sanity test uh, because I don't think any sane person walks around, you know, other than law enforcement, you know, of course. Well, yeah, of course. Uh, Yeah. Law enforcement. But I I don't think any sane person walks around with an AR-15 strapped around their shoulder and in target, you know what I mean? And so I think that it, it, I'll say this to me, I I know exactly what you're saying and I understand it. And I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with it, but I also think it really helps us identify the crazy people, uh, and, and to know who in the hell to stay away from. Uh, you know, because anybody right. that would strap an AR-15 to their back and, and stroll around Target or Walmart or anything else, that's a crazy person. All right? Well, 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 that yeah, and I agree with that. But what about even the guy with just a a, a pistol as a sidearm, a handgun, and he's openly carrying it as a sidearm? I, I you know, unless you're in law enforcement, I've got a problem yeah. with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I, I'm kind of the same way with that too. I, I just think that if you if you feel the need, uh, you know, and I listen, I, I'll say this. I also get into this. And I'll say these things and then I'll, I'll backtrack and say, well, I don't know what's happened to that person in their life. 
You know, that person could have gotten attacked in a parking lot somewhere and now they have some sort of trauma and that helps them feel better about their their life or whatever. And maybe that person has gone to courses and is highly trained. And, you know, this is a way to avoid uh, having to go and pay for the, uh, you know, the carry permit and things like that. They just open carry the thing and it makes them feel better and they think it deters somebody. So. You know, I mean, I, I, I know what you're saying and, and I don't necessarily disagree. I, I think there is a point in there where you're, you know, where you're some 20 year old kid that's just strapping a, you know, putting on a, a tactical vest and an AR-15 around your shoulder. You know what I mean? It's just stop it. Uh, you know, you, you're not fooling anybody. If you want to play guns and soldier go, there's a place for you to go and sign up and they'll, they'll mm-hmm. listen, they'll even pay you to do it. Uh, you know, and, and you can go over and learn how to properly use things and be in the best shape of your life. Uh, but, uh, it's, I, I just, to me, you know, a lot of these people, it's a fear thing. They're, they're scared to death because of, uh, you know, they, I think a lot of it is we get back into some of the old, uh, you know, mischaracterizations of people and stereotypes of people and racism. Um, and, and, you know, racism plays a pretty big role in this because I'll tell you this, you don't yep. see a lot of black men rolling around in Target and Walmart with AR-15 yep. strapped to their backs. Yep. Uh, and, and the people that you do talk to about it inevitably bring up something about the changing culture quote unquote, of the world today and how they mm-hmm. just don't feel safe anymore. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, failing to, to kind of branch out and accept that there are people who may look a little different than them, but you're all, all right. people and can, and can get along. And I think the, the fear of the unknown leads to a lot of that. So I, I'm, I'm going to also you invoked uh, the, uh, Chris Rock earlier in his comedic statement. I'm going to uh, I don't remember if it was Chris Rock who said this, but some black comedian or maybe it was multiple ones started talking about how if we want to really see a change in gun laws in this country, then all black men in particular need to go on and become registered gun owners yeah. and we need to in open carry states and we need to start carrying our weapons openly. If oh, we yeah. were to do that, I guarantee you yeah. be a change real yeah. fast, hey, listen, man. That's, that's the reason why they're changing absentee voting laws right now, yeah. you know, is because yeah. uh, black voters said, Hey, wait, we can do absentee voting and yeah. let's do it. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it's uh you're right. It, it would, it would change really, really quickly. Um, you know, uh, it, and it just, it's, it's really, I, I, but again, back to just the basics of it. I don't know. I don't know where we lose so many people. I mean, I, I do know. I just don't know why they continue to be fooled by the same rhetoric. From when I say, I think when you go buy a gun, that you should have to take a safety course and a training course and prove to somebody that you know how to use this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think ninety nine percent of people disagree with that. But if you put it in legislation, it becomes, oh, whoa, whoa, gun regulation. Oh, you're trying to guys gun regulation right there. And and everything gets lumped together and you get branded as some some sort of take your gun politician. And. I, I mean, I listen, the NRA's done a great job, I guess, of well, that's doing what that. I was going to uh, say, yeah. Uh, yes, uh, of branding people that way. But mm-hmm. it's at a point you think, man, you know, they've got to be, we, we've done this for so long now. 
And so many people have died, and we see the consequences of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and listen, there are a lot of the talking points go out the window in this Boulder shooting uh, because, you know, you, you often hear, well, none of these gun laws would have stopped this. Well, actually, this one would have been stopped by the gun laws mm-hmm. uh, that, that you know, or at least would have been deterred tremendously uh, if they had run a universal background check on this man and, and re- realized what he had in his past. If they had uh, you know, continued with the ban on assault rifles in, in town there, he certainly wouldn't have been able to buy the one he bought six days before the shooting. Right. Uh, same uh, if, they had, if they had the uh, the waiting period in Atlanta. That kid, who knows if they would have even had the shooting if he had to wait three days to cool down. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, know? To, to to come to his senses on what yes. his real issues are, yeah, yeah, uh, and, and, you and, know, and I just it just to me, man, that there's just too much out here at this point. You know, and speaking that, and speaking of the real villain in all of this, the NRA, you know what what's their what's their status now? I mean, it's been they've been outed as really a con scheme uh, perpetrated by the ones at the very top to enrich mm-hmm. themselves and. <laughs> Uh, and I wonder what's happened to that organization and its viability. I haven't heard anything recently. You know, you know, I, if I would, did they not file for bankruptcy not too long ago? Um, I, uh, I believe, yeah, that sounds that sounds familiar. Yeah. I'd have to and, look and that up. Lapierre was in all sorts of trouble because yeah. he, he was taking money and uh, going on trips and spending things mm-hmm. on himself and his wife and things mm-hmm. like. I mean, really, honestly, it just sounds like you had a Republican club and the the Republicans at the top did what Republicans always do at the top when nobody's paying attention to them. They took the money. You know, I mean, <laughs> it happens every single time, every single time. Yeah. Uh, if there's a lot of money laying around in front of Republicans, they're going to take it. They cannot help themselves, <laughs> but take it. All right. It just, it, and there's no thought whatsoever to saying, Hey, you know, we should take this money and give it to the less fortunate. Uh, they, they never think of that. They think, what trip could I go on with my wife this week? You know, what could we buy? What golden toilet could we buy for our house? <laughs> um, but it's, you know, I, I just, uh, uh, again, it, it's a sad situation, and, and you know, and I've seen a lot of people. I think a lot of well, they rightfully, a lot of a lot of hope mm-hmm. was lost. I think a few years ago, uh, after the Newtown shooting, mm-hmm. and, and 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 I think that I think that's very fair for people to look at what what occurred there and what occurred in the aftermath of twenty first graders uh, being shot in their classrooms and killed. Yeah, um, and. You know, and to think that nothing came of that. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it, it, at that point you close, you know, you close up shop and say, "We're hell, we're never going to do anything with this. We're we're okay. If you're okay with twenty first graders dying in the classroom, then what are you not? You know, what what's, yeah. where's the line at that? Yeah. Point? Well, there obviously isn't any, which is why we saw what we saw even after the Florida shooting. You know, Parkland. You know, you had these. You know, we really thought that that was a turning point as well because. You know, now it was the victims who -hmm. were speaking out, the young people who were there and were directly affected. And they had some real momentum for a while. And then it just unfortunately, it seems to petered out. And it looks as though it looks as though the NRA, even if they did file for bankruptcy, Josh, it looks as though they're still functioning well. I Googled them and they're still active uh, across the country. So. Yeah, well, I mean, probably like a Trump bankruptcy, I guess. Mm, uh, yeah, there you, you know, go. Yeah, just a just a way to offset the debts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, but so I guess that you know that's our that's our gun discussion. I, I just wish you know that we could um, 
we could remove a lot of this, the nonsense. I mean, so many of the talking points at this point make no sense whatsoever. Um, you know, it makes no sense to say that people are trying to take your guns. They're obviously not. Right. Um, no, I mean, you know, there, there are a handful of, of people that are like, you know, we should ban all weapons, uh, all, all firearms. Uh, you know, I understand where those people come from, uh, you know, but the idea that they're greater than 2% of this argument is, is insane. Right. And we all know that. And, and um, I, and, and as a, and as an unabashed liberal, unabashed liberal, I don't agree with those people. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm for the second amendment as we, as we currently try to apply it, as long as there's, there are reasonable boundaries and, and safe, you know, safety measures put in place so that, you know, we can try to make this as, as safe a society as we can. But, but I like the idea of you or me or anybody who wants to buy a gun having a gun. I think that's, you know, I think that's, that's uh, perfectly fine. Again, as long as it's done responsibly. Yeah. I mean, I, listen, I could be talked very easily into a handgun ban. Very mm. easily. Um, you know, I, I really could, I could, I could be talked very easily into a handgun ban, uh, because I think that 90 some odd percent of our greatest gun problems, I listen, I know the mass shootings are AR 15s and, and those sorts of things. I know they get a lot of attention for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you look at them, they're a relatively low percentage of the overall gun deaths in America. I think rifles account for some, somewhere around 400 deaths a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, you know, which is not not a small number. I'm not poo-pooing 400 people getting right. killed by no, a rifle, okay, I, at I all. Get, but I in the it. grand scheme of 30,000 people dying from hand, from weapons, mm-hmm. uh, you know, handguns are so easy to get, so easy to store, so easy to transport, uh, so easy to carry around and to pull out, so easy to use in suicides. Um, you know, I think that it is, um, yeah, I, I just think that we, we could do ourselves a lot of good in, in a lot of instances in uh, you know, in banning those, I also understand the other side of this. They're also for all of those same reasons. They are also good for personal protection. Uh, you know, and, and they're a lot easier to use. Uh, you know, for for people in, in certain situations. And, and so, listen, I understand both mm-hmm. sides. I'm just saying, I think if we could get there, you know, I I, I would yeah. be fine with I, us I, no longer having them. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to see a ban on handguns. Uh, handguns. What I would like to see: background checks, waiting periods, mandatory safety classes. Yeah, those sorts of things. Uh, obviously, uh, meticulous data kept on everybody who's, uh, uh, you know, who who buys one, and restrictions on how you buy, so that you can't just legally. Well, you, uh, you, I, well, I don't know. The laws are different in every state, but I think there ought to be some way to ensure that I can't just, you know, sell to my crazy cousin Fred or to no. Pookie and them a gun. Because they yeah. asked for it, you know. Yeah, there, there's, there should be a, an online system for transferring a weapon to somebody. Yeah. I mean, you know, you yeah. should be able to do it, but there should be a – everybody should have to enter their ID. And I think you almost said that there should be a ban on man buns. And I think we all agree on that, uh, that there should absolutely be a, man, a ban on man buns. Uh, we are 100% in agreement there. Uh, I think everybody could get behind that. No more man buns. Uh, and I think we're <laughs> – so you should have died with the with sam, samurai tradition, you know. Dude, that's, yeah, yeah. that's what so we learned. That's the first Tom time Cruise I, in the in the last samurai. It should have been the last funny. samurai. Should have been the last man La, bun. Last man yeah. bun. Okay, yeah. that's hilarious. 
but before we slide out of here and we yeah. get in uh, and Josh Brewer, who is uh, leading up the efforts at, uh, for the Amazon unionization uh, in Bessemer, uh, I want to uh, quickly mention uh, Mo Brooks. Uh, did in fact make his announcement alongside the ghoul, uh, Stephen Miller, uh, there at uh, <laughs> at an event in Huntsville at a gun shot, a uh, gun range, or whatever it is. Whatever it is, club. yeah. Um, of course, I assume as I wrote in the column, I assume they chose that place because the local Four Seasons Lawn Care and Landscaping was booked. That was a good line, uh, by the way. That that yeah. made me laugh out loud. That was a good line. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, But uh, it's, uh, you know, he did announce uh, he is in this race. Um, You know, for now, I would say he's probably the front runner. Uh, but I think he thinks farther, he is for sure. Yeah, well, well, listen, polling will, you know, yeah. polling at this point is all name recognition. And right now there is nobody uh, that has better name recognition than, than Mo in this thing. I think the farther we get away from the January 6th stuff and what's going on, uh, the worse it becomes for Mo. I think this is his peak right now. Hmm. Uh, and he's going to have to do something else really, really off the charts crazy uh, to, you know, to get his name back out there. But I think there, you're also flirting with, with a line at that point where. Where uh, if he does too much more crazy stuff, he's gonna he's gonna move over into crazy territory, and people aren't gonna aren't gonna vote for his. You mean ass. further further into crazy territory? Yeah, further, yeah, further yeah. into crazy ter- yeah. territory. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I know it's uh you know I know he's your guy, so you know he. Uh, I don't I don't understand how anybody votes for somebody who uh, who was in favor of seeing. An electoral process overturned by force. You know, I don't I don't actually I know a lot of people have problems with the Republicans who challenge the election on mm-hmm. the floor of the Senate. Yeah. I actually don't have a problem with them because they were following a a constitutional process. Now, it was it was bull. I mean, I understand mm-hmm. that. And it was based on lies and 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 you know and and assertions that were not true but 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 it was constitutional so my point is if you're going to you know politics has plenty of room unfortunately politics leaves plenty of room for people to lie and obfuscate uh-huh. you know but but where I draw the and I'm not saying I support any of that but I'm saying I think the line has to be when you are openly advocating for unconstitutional actions or actions that are clearly, uh, you know, immoral and an infringement on people's civil rights. And what and what Mo Brooks, uh, what he did leading up to January the 6th with his rhetoric, mm-hmm. uh, along with what he did on January the 6th. To me, that should worry any American, whether you're conservative, liberal, Republican, independent, whatever you are. This should worry all of us. Well, it should it should worry you 100 uh, percent. It should worry you. In addition to that, even if you were of the opinion that Mo was right and you bought into all of these lies and you still buy into him today, what should also anger you is that then Mo come on the backside of this thing, uh, you know, after weeks of building this thing up and talking about what a great, you know, uh, uh, how awful and terrible it was and how it was stolen. He then comes on the backside of it and then and lays it all at Trump supporters feet who were, you know, yeah. listen, they were suckered into this. Uh, they believed some things they shouldn't have believed, and uh, then he uh, then he uh, went and blamed it on Antifa, uh, you know, which was an outright lie, and the FBI has said it's an outright lie. And mm-hmm. listen, you, 
It's in, the insanity of that is off the charts anyway. Just look at the people that were there. You can identify them, and you can go to their Facebook page and look at how long they've been following Trump, and it's nonsense. It's it's insane. This whole thing is insane. And at some point, at some point, man, the quality of the person there has to matter. And yeah. it, it has to matter to, to you as uh, that this person is going to be your representative, and he's done nothing in 10 years. He's been yeah. – uh, uh, an unabashed racist, and maybe you're a racist and you're okay with that, but hell, he's done nothing else for you other That's than right. whine and moan there and do that. I mean, so you're accomplishing nothing. And then he threw you under the bus after That's everything right. else. That after he did. everything else. And he's, it's clear that he is a self-serving liar. And that's all it is. That's his platform. Self-serving liar. Please well, vote for me. Well, yeah. And, and you know, of course, the reality is that just about all of the people on the front end of that uh, insurrection, uh, you know, have thrown them under the Trump has thrown them under the bus yep. that Sidney Powell has thrown them under the bus. You know, mm-hmm. everybody that has to face the scrutiny of being a grown up. Yep. In a world where you can be held criminally liable or civilly liable for your actions, all of them have said, oops, yep. they shouldn't yeah. have believed me. Oops. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's Sean not what Hannity, I oops. Tucker Carlson, yeah. Sidney Powell, yeah. all these people in lawsuits, in lawsuits, in the documents themselves, in yeah. front of court, in sworn testimony, under yeah. oath, yeah. have said, no reasonable person would believe this is anything other than entertainment and is, is being said just for entertainment purposes. These are not facts. That's what they've all said. And people continue to buy this horseshit. Continue to buy it. You're so, playing them. Playing them like suckers, man. Playing yeah, them like yeah, suckers. Keep sending them that money, man. Hey, keep buying those gold coins. Eventually, mm-hmm. they're going to work out for you. I'm, I'm confident. So, uh, <laughs> you know, catheters. Yes, that's what you need. Get, get your get you some of those catheters <laughs> off that Fox News commercial. Catheters. <laughs> uh, my pillow. Get you my pillow. It's the best pillow in the world, really. Yeah. Uh, I hate to this day that I bought one of those things. I, <laughs> oh, you bought one? <laughs> I, this was like four, four or five years ago, man. I bought. You know, I bought them my pill. You know, I'm just trying to, you know, deal with some yeah. sleep issues. Bought a couple of them, and then later on, you know, years down the line, I learned what a what a freaking crazy conservative nutcase <laughs> this, this guy is. Oh, this is such a this is such a 2020 21 uh, mm. American story right here. So, mm. I'm just trying to get some sleep, man. I didn't yeah. know he was funding an insurrection. <laughs> 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 I just wanted some sleep. I didn't I want to fund an insurrection. That's it, man. That's <laughs> it. That's it. That's hey, it. I, I'll tell you this. That's similar to that. Uh, we, we love uh, the little singing shows, and like, especially like the singing um, game shows. Uh-huh. Love that Jamie Foxx uh, mm. show that was on for Shazam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they, they had named this tune that was brought back this year, had Randy Jackson and Jane Krakowski, I believe is how you say her last name. I think that's how you say her name, yeah. And, and, you know, the story came out right before this show started airing that for some reason or another, Jane Krakowski was this dude's girlfriend for a while. Oh, and all, the My Pillow yeah, guy? Yeah, the My Pillow guy. And what? everybody, and they, have, they were talking to her friend. Yeah, look it up, Google this. I mean, because they were talking to her <laughs> friends about this and none of them could believe it. I can't watch the show, man, without seeing that dude and her together. It's just, I can't, it's killing me. I love the uh, show, but I can't, I, it's just, uh, uh nasty. Yeah. yeah. I know, right? Uh. All right. With that, with that nice thought, we're going to slide out of here. Uh, we'll right. be uh, back in a minute with Josh Brewer and, uh, we'll, you know, talk about the Amazon vote. It's pretty important. Yeah. Back in a minute. 
Hi, this is David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know, Josh and I have a lot of fun doing this podcast, and we also try to keep it very informational with newsmaker interviews, and and we try to do our research, too, before we get on here and pontificate. I hope that you find the podcast informative and entertaining. So if you do, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to rate us, subscribe to us, and review us on your favorite podcasting platform, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever it is you're using to listen to us. Please do that. That will help us to move up in the rankings and also to uh, get more people to tune in. So if you're a fan of Alabama politics this week, I hope you'll do that for us. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back in Alabama politics this week. Uh, We are happy now, uh, David and myself, to have with us Josh Brewer, uh, who is doing God's work uh, legit. Uh, here in uh, in Bessemer, mm-hmm. uh, trying to uh, unionize uh, the Bessemer Amazon plant, uh, got ballots out now to just about six thousand fifty eight hundred uh, Amazon workers at that place down there, um, and and I think the the final tally will come in on the 29th, which would be Monday, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Monday or Tuesday. Um, and it, you know, uh, Josh, first of all, man, thanks for taking some time. I know you've been crazy busy. Uh, I've, I've seen you, your name and all over the place here. Uh, but, but we really appreciate you coming on with us. Yeah, brother. Anytime, man. Yeah. Hey, I guess, uh, first of all, uh, I, I want to say before we get started that, uh, in, in doing some, some background on you a little bit, uh, I found out, uh, something pretty neat when I said you're doing God's work, you're actually an ordained minister. Um, uh, and, and went away from that because you felt like, and I think this is where you and I connect, uh, you know, we're, we're right on the same page. Yeah. You feel like unionization and helping workers is, is the best way to lift people, struggling Americans up. And, and man, I, you, you could not, I could not put it any better than that. It, it's a hundred percent what I believe, uh, here. And so I, I just, what, what led you from, from being an ordained minister to that? Yeah, you know, I I loved working in the church. I loved I loved uh, that ministry. But I'll tell you, you know, it's um, there's a lot of people that that aren't walking into church, and and they're not uh, they're not going to stumble into any churches anytime soon. And so, you know, for me, it was it was an initial just desire to to kind of get outside of the church and really really work with people where they're at and and see what we can do to make a difference. And um, you know, knew some people inside the labor movement, explored that opportunity, and and you know, like you said, I think for me, it's it's um, it's everything that was written and read. It was everything that we were told to do was, was look out for the, for our brothers and sisters that are in need, um, that a man should be paid for an honest day's work an honest day's wage that, um, you know, we need to look out for the, the immigrant. We need to look out for the, the widows and the, and the children and the orphans, and we need to look out for each other. And so, you know, for me, it was, uh, it was a natural way to just continue that fight. Um, and, you know, so I appreciate the recognition of it, you know, but, um, you know, we deal with God's people too. You know, mm-hmm. our members are hardworking people. They're humble people. And, um, you know, God says that he draws close to those that are humble. And so, um, you know, we, it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, and again, I think it, it definitely is something that is a, is a spiritual fight as well as a, certainly a physical one. Uh, well, I tell you, man, in, in a matter of about two minutes, there you put into words everything that I feel about this, about this, and I, I really mean that sincerely. But you know, just looking at, at at what y'all have done there, uh, because 
I mean, when you say the first Amazon facility to unionize, there, I bet there wouldn't be ten people who would have predicted that it would it, that the effort would come first in Alabama. Uh, you know, which is of late been a heavy anti-union state, at least from on a political front. Uh, you know, I think we're if you look at us overall, we're we're a pretty pro-union state historically, uh, but but of late not. What has this effort been like? Where do you feel like you stand with with you know the, just the votes to come in at this point? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, we feel good. Um, it's been a heck of a fight. Uh, Amazon has, you know, their union busting has been significant. It's been advanced on a level that, you know, just this general misinformation campaign that they've ran that really felt very much like a propaganda campaign and, and just like the level that they used um, misinformation in a way that was laid out and designed so smartly. I mean, when you really look at it and you just base it on how they made people feel about potentially unionizing and how um, the way that they, they told the truth, but just really coded it in a way that was very dishonest and, um, you know, convinced a lot of people that, as to your point, you know, it's Alabama a lot. Yeah, we've had a strong union tradition among our, our sister states in the South, but ultimately, you know, it's polarized politically. We've got tough legislation against us. Um, and so there's not a lot of labor education that goes on, not a lot of, especially when you're dealing with a young workforce, 2,200 workers under 20 years old. Um, you know, a lot of people don't understand unions. We get the question, mm -hmm. you know, a credit union, you know, when we first showed up, <laughs> is it a credit? Hmm. I mean, there's so many like, you know, yeah. real, real questions. And, and, you know, so that, that, that gives an opportunity for that, that misinformation. And Amazon certainly used that throughout this, but I'll tell you that the reason why it happened in Alabama and that I believe, um, is just a natural progression of the movements that we've seen over the last few years, that, that our country has recognized some systemic issues that we have that deals with race across the board, not just in the South. And that people um, do have a sense of feeling like the nation may be with them and that the nation supports them in their struggle or at least sees their struggle, at a minimum can acknowledge their struggle, sees them and is giving a level of empowerment um, that I think is tangible. I think we've seen it all over the country, not just in Alabama. And so this feels like a natural extension of that. Um, that's why it has been no secret. It's a predominantly black warehouse. Um, Bessemer, a lot of struggles in, in Bessemer. And so, you know, this has been worker led from the beginning. I've said it a long time, you know, this it's we're seven staff council. And certainly we have a larger international union and hundreds of people in the fight now. But when we launched in October, it was just us seven. And uh, we can't sign up 5,800 workers. There's just no ability to do that. And so this was one of those campaigns that very much felt maybe similar to like the West Virginia teacher strikes or some of these other things that really seemed to pop up out of nowhere and happen very quickly. It was very organic um, for us. It was really just keeping up with the, with the authorization cards. You know, we would meet with a worker, would just call us at random and drop off two, 300 cards. Um, we've never seen anything like that. And so uh, it was just a just a, a match. And when it was lit, it just started a fire. So a couple of questions for you, Josh. Uh, first question is um, you you're an ordained minister and I am uh, for the purposes of this podcast. I am the self-appointed, self-ordained chaplain of the podcast. <laughs> Um, and I actually do have a theology minor. So, I mean, I'm not just pulling it out of thin air. I got a theology minor from my alma mater. Um, are you are you saying to us with a straight face 
that if Jesus were walking the earth today, that that with his sandal clawed feet, uh, sandal uh, covered feet, that he would be walking into the United Brotherhood of Carpenters, and he would be a union member. Yeah, I'm saying that straight face. Yeah, I think if you read the words in red, what did he do? Who was he? Right, he was an outcast to society. Right, he 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 went into mm-hmm. the the temples and the churches of his time. And when they were taking advantage of the citizens, when they were taking advantage of the taxes, when they were legislatively oppressing his people, he flipped tables, flipping tables and whipping with chains were not off the table. And so, you know, that's that's who he was. And he was an outspoken advocate for people. And he was willing to take that and do it in front of the rulers of that time. And even maybe an area that was certainly uh, against what he was trying to do. And so. Um, yeah, I think absolutely with a straight face. And then, and then beyond it, when you live this life every day and you're, you're surrounded with, with workers that are struggling, struggling with decisions on how to pay their medical bills, uh, keep their lights on, keep their, their, their mortgage paid and feed their children. Um, and then you've got one entity that's building uh, clocks in the side of mountains and is, is, has, has more wealth than almost a quarter of our 300 million population nation. Um, I think it's pretty clear on which side we need to jump on here, uh, on the, on that side, right on that front, and what is better for the masses, right? And that's important. We need to consider that in our society. I think we we need to take a step back and say, you know, we've got 300 million people here. The 99% is really big, and it's really struggling, and so we've got to do something about it. So, absolutely, I feel like he'd be on our team. You know, I do. <laughs> you know, and I also think he is on our team. Um, and to be, to be clear, I'm a yeah. licensed minister, not ordained. There is a difference just for fact check purposes. Ah, but I was okay. in a Baptist church, right. worked in the ministry um, for many years. And so um, actually just unfortunately uh, proceeded over a funeral last week. And so, um, you know, very yeah. much still involved. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I would definitely say that with a straight face. Uh, the church can say amen on that. All right. One other, one other thing uh, I want to ask you. I was looking at an article uh, that featured interviews with folks at the Amazon plant who do not want to see Amazon unionized. Uh, and they were saying, hey, we've been taking, they've been taking good care of us. Uh, it's a safe environment. I think one person said, I didn't, I've never felt treated like a robot, which of course is a reference to the fact that, uh, that there are, uh, uh, there, there are AI uh, machines or robots that that I guess do some of the work in the plant or do a significant part of the work in the plant, as I understand it. Um, what do you say to those folks who who feel like uh, you know we don't need a union in Amazon? Amazon is fine. We're treated well. Everything's just fine. What what do you say to sure. them? I, I think first of all, respect their opinion. You know, I think it's important that um, it's a democratic process. That you know, for one reason or another. Uh, people are certainly entitled to their opinion. And, and so we respect it. You know, we're, we're not going to overly push people if that is their opinion. And certainly with 5,800 workers, there was never an impression that we wouldn't have a, a contingency of anti-union people, um, you know, and, and, and a significant amount, right? It's just, uh, we can't get this country to agree on, on a whole lot to expect 5,800 people to agree on. Uh, one thing is it would be a minor miracle. But I would say that, um, you know, as it relates to safety, the, the numbers show that, that the Amazon is reporting injuries at seven to 10 times higher than their counterparts across the country. 
um, that, that it is a statistically unsafe environment. And, and certainly for, for people that may not have been their experience, um, you know, there's a reason why there's safeguards on machinery. Not everybody's lost a finger, but we need to make sure that it doesn't happen. And so, you know, as far as safety goes, I think there is a troubling track record nationwide uh, with their safety and with this really kind of workload that they're putting on people. Um, and, and the second part, as far as just, just overall, what we say to the anti-union folks is, um, you know, I would just encourage them to do their own research. You know, don't, don't, don't listen to one party. Make sure you, you know, you don't even have to listen to us. Just do a little Google search in your phone. Look at the history of, of labor in the South. Look at the history of, of uh, really this movement. And then also just, if you want to just hardline do a search of, uh, should I join the union? I think the first 10 to 20 articles are all positive union articles. They talk about the increased wages nationwide. They talk about the level of respect that comes from uh, not just being just cause employee and having, having representation. So, you know, we've, we've, since the beginning, uh, we've really encouraged workers to do their own research. Don't listen to us. Don't listen to Amazon. Listen to your, your pastor. Listen to the community. Listen to the, the movements that you follow and then listen to what they're telling you because, you know, certainly our experience has been um, a whole lot of the country supports this fight. I think a whole lot of the country is concerned about the overall size and power that Amazon is accumulating. And it's a very real nervous system. It should be. No, I, um, well, several years back, I wrote uh, some stories about a car supplier uh, or part supplier to a car manufacturing plant in the state I was attempting to unionize. Uh, and attorneys from the car supplier showed up to the to the newspaper that I worked at at the time uh, to talk to me about this and, and to explain why I was wrong. Uh, and as part of that conversation, I asked them, because you know, they had several other plants around the, uh, around the country and in some other countries. Um, and I said, could you tell me if the workers at this plant are making more and have better benefits than any of your other plants that are unionized? And uh, they said, well, we're going to have to get back to you on that, uh, which I'm still waiting. I think it's been eight years now. Um, and, and so I, this is an argument now uh, that I've seen from Amazon, which is our workers at this place are paid very well. They're paid very well. Uh, and so I, and you mentioned some other things that they have done. So if you wouldn't mind, address the, uh, that argument that they have and then the other things that they have also done in, in, in ways of trying to bust this union. Sure. Uh, Josh, this is my trigger word. I tell you, man, I, uh, I struggle with this. I, it, it gets, you know, as just a labor representative, our, our union represents about 12, 10 to 12,000 workers here in Alabama, Mississippi, in the rural South. And I'll tell you this idea that $29,000 is a, is a yearly wage that, that people should be throwing a party for is it's just hard to not become offended. And I, I'm certainly not, you know, I understand the heart of the question, but you know, it's, um, I will say two things about it. I will say, number one, for this regional area, it's not an impressive wage. Um, I, you don't have to hear that from me. The workers are saying that. Most of the workers that have done media talk about, I came from an auto parts plant, 22. I came from a steel plant, $19 an hour. Um, you know, that really seems to be more of a prevailing wage here in Birmingham. I think our own union contracts for regional grocery warehouses, um, for regional food production, ice cream, milk, these older companies that have been in Birmingham, these long-standing uh, companies that have been unionized, it's 18 to $22 an hour. They've got 240 hours a year of sick time that they could have used during coronavirus. They've got you know, an incredible amount of representation. They don't sport 100% annual turnover. 
where, you know, nobody wants to talk about that. They don't want to talk about 5,800 workers this year. They're going to have to go home and sit in the driveway and think about how they're going to explain to their spouse that they just lost their job or that they quit because they couldn't take it no more. And what that does for the local economy, what that does for leases and landlords and tenants and people that don't have stable incomes. When you're talking about a company that's almost 2% of the population of Birmingham, forget about what it means to Bessemer. Even move into Birmingham as a big of a city of Birmingham that 2% nearly of this city works in that warehouse. And when you start to talk about a 5,800 person turnover, so by next year, then 4% of this city will have worked there. And the next year will be 6%. So you give me five years and one-tenth of Birmingham will have flooded through this warehouse. And so the turnover is unacceptable. The idea that workers can stand this kind of pressure and treatment, is it's, it's obvious. The numbers don't lie. 5,800 people leaving a job in a year is, is, is insane. And so, you know, look, 29,000 a year. You know, I think it's, it's not a radical idea that a working person would be able to afford a vacation every year. Maybe just one, maybe four days. And, and, and we say, you know, Orange Beach, and we're not trying to go to Fiji, we'll drive. And we don't even got to stay in the sand. We'll get an inland hotel. Like ain't nobody asking to even, we'll go to the public beach. But you can't do that on 29,000. You also can't get your son the Nike cleats for baseball that he wants. You got to go get the, you know, I mean, come on. You know, and I just think at some point, these aren't radical ideas. And, and, and I think absolutely Amazon's potentially disastrous mistake in this campaign was to use that $15 an hour and hang it over their own folks' head when a congressional delegation of freshmen, congressmen, and women who all supported a $15 an hour minimum wage to then throw up these signs almost antagonizing the United States government to pass a $15 an hour wage. I think for working people in Amazon, it was disrespectful. It was disrespectful because, yeah, they're making 15 bucks an hour and it might be $2 an hour more than where they came from, but their life feels the same as it did 10 years ago. It feels the same as it did 20 years ago. And to pretend that there's something to be celebrated at 29,000 a year um, is a disaster for Amazon. And the more they're running it around, the digger, the, the hole they're, 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 they're digging. It seems to be, you know. Well, you know, I get you out of here with, with this because I know you're busy. Um, the where do you feel like it stands? I mean, do do you feel good about this uh, here now? And and even let's say even if if it doesn't come to pass, uh, which I, you know I think it feels pretty good too. Just the the, the you know the employment led uh, side of this thing makes it makes it feel a lot different than some other votes in the past. Uh, but uh, you know, do you feel like? This has at least attracted attention that will lead to bigger things here, even if it doesn't come to pass. Yeah. So, I mean, two parts. As far as how I feel right now, um, we feel good. You know, we, we, we think we can lose still, certainly, when you're talking about 5,800 workers. And, and, you know, there's even some like logistical areas where we can only pull really so much. We've got to be careful about how we're really pushing workers and how they're going to vote. It's not for us to know. We just really measure more support. Um, and who's a supporter, and, and we can't track ballots, obviously. So, you know, it's a very loose polling type system, if you would even call it that. And so, you know, all we can do is just listen to what the employees are saying, what our committees are saying, and they're excited. They feel like the warehouse now is, you know, nearly 90% pro-union. The concern we have is coming out of those captive meetings when that initial early vote happened. I think Amazon certainly had some, uh, a lot of folks confused for a little while. 
Um, and it's amazing, really, when you look at their anti-union campaign, it's almost as if they knew the cat was going to get out of the bag pretty quickly because they tried to push everyone to vote early. Vote early, vote early, vote early, because they knew once they got out of those captive meetings for long enough and got their wits about them that they were going to turn on them. And they did. That's exactly mm -hmm. what happened. Um, the complete warehouse now is pro-union. It's not even a question. And so when you bring in you know, some of the, the, the desperately illegal things that Amazon has done, the mail at box or the mail ballot box is a lot to do. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you've seen about that, but that's pretty incredible. No. What was that? Um, so they, they essentially had a, a the post office uh, install a mailbox on the second night of voting in the middle of the night um, against the National Labor Relations Board's wishes. They asked for this and the board said, no, absolutely. You don't get to have a ballot harvesting box at your front door. This is a mail-in ballot. It goes from the federal government to the worker's home and then back in their mailbox to the government. Mm. Why would it ever okay. come to Amazon? And so they did it anyways. They built a giant box and then they wrapped it with anti-union messaging on, on banners. So it's an actual unfair labor practice wrapped around an unfair labor wow. practice. Um, and they have, they have cameras trained wow. to surveil this box. And so Amazon has attempted to actually, in my opinion, have this election become null and void by pulling the fire alarm because they felt like they're very likely to lose. Now, we're, I know we're, we're trying to get you out of here, but Josh, what you just said, I mean, that's explosive news. Did you guys document that? It is. So we've actually, um, More Perfect Union is a media outlet that put out a video interview with me three or four days ago. They've been here filming. And so they have shots of the box, the cameras. Uh, Congressman Andy Levin, Reverend Barber, Sarah Nelson, all of these folks that came literally walked up to see this box because they couldn't believe it for themselves. And so um, there it is, Twitter, Facebook. The plug more perfect union, but they've got a, they've got this whole thing documented. It's viral at the moment. Um, it's headed towards you know hundreds of thousands of whatever it does. And uh, but you know ultimately there's more than that. You know Amazon has broken nearly every labor law in existence, and you know that that tells us that they're scared. It tells us that they're also nervous. And so um, you know we have a lot of reasons to be excited, um, but I will definitely say I don't expect a four to five to one result. I do expect it to be a pretty close race due to the early vote. I think if you take it right now and vote, we win five to one. Um, but that early vote was seven weeks ago. I mean, that's a long time ago. And it was coming right on the heels of, of a lot of really aggressive union busting where they essentially told workers they're going to lose their benefits and they're going to be forced to go out on strike. And so that, you know, ultimately will certainly scare some people. Yeah. Well, listen. I think we, I think we know how I stand here. So, uh, um, and, and, and listen, I, I just, I think you're hundred percent right about this whole thing. And I think this is the way we turn things back around for the American worker is exactly the work that you're doing. And, and man, I, I hope it turns out the way that you think it is and the way that I think it is. And, uh, and I wish you luck and, and, and really congratulate you on a great job there. No, hey, hey, this is a man of the cloth, Josh. You don't wish him luck. God bless no, you, I'm Josh. Sorry, sorry. God bless you, Josh. I'll leave that, I'll leave that to yeah. the show's chaplain. Uh, to, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Well, then I, all right. Well, I, let me do my little God bless yeah, you, Josh. I appreciate that. No, I really do. I appreciate you guys having me on. Appreciate the questions. And, um, you know, ultimately, uh, anytime, let me know. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. Awesome. Good luck, man. Right, thank you. All right. Take it easy. Man, that's, uh, boy, I, I hope that works out. I really do. Yeah, man. That, uh, I think that changes that changes a lot of stuff around here, man. If that 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 thing goes down, 
Uh, that changes a lot of things in this state, I think, for a lot of workers. All of a sudden, you get a kind of a movement on that sort of thing. Uh, and you could you, you could legitimately see, I think, uh, you start with that, you go with, uh, you know, you could, I think it'd be very, very easy uh, to get teachers back on board with the AEA. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, as a matter of fact, we're, I'm, I'm going to talk to them uh, pretty soon about about some ideas there of, of getting that, that membership back up. And it, and it's not, I don't really care so much about the AEA as an organization. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Or any of these union necessarily as an organization, I care about the people mm-hmm. that are being helped by those organizations right. and what it means for those people to come in and collectively bargain for a better life and a better wage that takes again, a percentage of profits that is deemed fair by both sides. That's what mm-hmm. we're talking about here. Taking a percentage mm-hmm. of profits to donate, uh, to, to, to contribute back to the wages, the benefits, uh, and the retirement plans of the people who are putting out the products and making people like Jeff Bezos the extremely wealthy individuals that they are. Right. That's what I care about yeah. in this. And I think that we, the only way to save the workers in this state is to do exactly what they're doing at Amazon right now. At that point. Yeah. Well, I, I share your concerns and I would, and I add to those, uh, these concerns, which I'm sure you also share. I, I care about the people being able to make a livable wage uh, you know, or, or living wage, you know, I care about people being able to work in environments that are safe, you know, and I care about people being able to have recourse if they have a problem on the job, you know, fair recourse to address their problems without fear of retribution, um, or some immoral or unethical penalization. That's I care about those things. I care about equity in the workplace and diversity in the workplace, and and I think um, and inclusion in the workplace. And I think I think unions uh, help to facilitate all of that. And and so that's why I'm even though I've never worked in a union shop, honestly, I've never worked in one. Uh, but but I believe in unions and I think unions have have been essential to protecting the American worker and helping to put the American worker in a position where she or he can prosper. Yeah, I do. Too. And you're, uh, like you, I've never worked uh, in a union shop. However, I have worked in an industry in which there have been union shops in my same company. Uh, I worked for Gannett mm. for years. Um, mm-hmm. And as we went through layoff after layoff after layoff, uh, you know, benefit cut after benefit cut, uh, changes in, in, in pension plans, changes in insurance, changes in this, changes in that. The one thing that I always kept noticing as we went through this is this would be company wide. Here are the changes coming in company wide, except for uh, these three places over here that are union shops. And we're still bargaining with them on what we're going to do. And then the final results from those places would come out and it would be, well, they're going to get to keep their pension plan. And we're only going to have um, a 20 percent reduction in staff instead of a 50 percent reduction in this particular staff or, you know, Mm. or something like, you know, and I kept thinking. They're doing the same job I am. Why the hell are they? why, Why is their life so much better? And it's because they had the ability to go in together and collectively bargain. And by law, in this country, by law, you have to go in and abide by the rules uh, and come to agreements. And, and those things can go before mediators 
And that's why it it treats workers fairly. That's all mm-hmm. that anybody is asking for is for everybody mm-hmm. involved here to be treated fairly. And so, uh, you know, and that's I think at Amazon and you look at what's going on in that in that place down there. I think that if you treat everybody fairly, it's a whole different life than what they're experiencing right now. And I think that's fair for everyone. Amen to that. Amen to that. All right, let's slide out of here and we'll come back in a moment and wrap this baby up. Back in a minute. Yeah. Hey, just wanted to take a second to uh, thank the AFL-CIO for their support of the podcast here at Alabama Politics this week and really thank them for all that they do for us and for the workers all around uh, Alabama. Uh, The Alabama AFL-CIO, which you can find at alaflcio.com. Again, that's alaflcio.com. Go to their their website. Uh, They they do great work uh, at helping you organize, uh, teaching you about the benefits of a union, uh, teaching you about how to how to go about filing grievances and everything else that goes with with being a union member, and especially in this time, COVID nineteen is so prevalent, and um, you know a lot of workers are having problems with uh, precautions not necessarily being taken or getting relief uh, that they need because of wage losses and job losses. Go over there to the website, take a look at the reports that are there, take a look at the guidance that they have. Uh, utilize some of those, uh, some of the fine people that are working at Alabama AFL-CIO, uh, and and take advantage of of what a union can bring. Uh, and that's especially true if you're working at a place that does not necessarily have a union. Uh, I think you can read uh, read all about that with the uh, with the folks working at Amazon currently uh, in this state, and you can see the benefits that kind of come along with being a union member. Uh, again, that's A L A. FLCIO.com. ALAFLCIO.com. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama politics this week. That's uh, um, unions, man. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in support. Uh, Absolutely. But, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, it's uh, always have been. Uh, yep. it, it's, uh, I hope they hope they're successful down there and, uh, in doing that, I think it could change things for a while, but, um, you know, uh, speaking of, uh, of, of changing things, um, I have, uh, I've been in a, in a little bit of a back and forth this week with our old friend, John Merrill, mm. um, and, um, and his opposition to HR one slash S one, uh, the voting rights bill that uh, the Democrats in the House have passed uh, that make uh, a number of changes, I think, are all pretty much bipartisan changes, uh, you know, and and things that that uh, institute fairness in the registration, election and uh, money raising uh, components of, of our election system. And, you know, I, uh, these things apply equally to Democrats and Republicans that they're that they have proposed. And, uh, of course, John Merrill and Republicans are dead set against them because, you know, it, this would maintain the fairness and security of the elections while also allowing a bunch more people to vote. And the more people that vote, the worst chance Republicans have at winning elections. And uh, they can't have that. And and it would also one of the biggest changes. And this is what I wrote for Thursday, Thursday. Yeah, today, uh, while we're recording this. Um, is that it would uh, really put a damper on gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. And uh, the gerrymandering that has gone on in this state 
is off the charts. I mean, you can just look at some of these things, uh, at, at some of these districts that have been drawn that, that, you know, just little fingers of things stretch up into, into several other counties. Uh, and it, and it's obvious what's going on where they're, uh, you know, they're, they're grabbing a, a, a bunch of white people, white districts to, to, to help out a Republican, or they're grabbing a bunch of majority black districts uh, to make sure they they pack uh, black voters into into certain districts to to avoid well, yeah. any sort of problems. Well, they ghettoize uh, having to entertain their you know their 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 thoughts and things at all. Yeah, they ghettoize uh, uh, black voters. That's really what they're doing. Yeah, and and so this would remove all that. HR one would take a com- you, you would have a committee uh, in the state that comprised of five Republicans, five Democrats, and five independents. Mm-hmm. Uh, that committee would sit down together. And they would come up with fair district lines uh, based on the things that the, the rules that say this is how you should do this. OK, uh, how percentages and uh, and, and and keeping counties whole, um, you know, that's a that's another big thing is, is trying to keep counties whole instead of you know going into different little counties to try to grab people here or there uh, and to insert yourself into, into uh, major counties like Jefferson, like Republicans have done there. So right. they could try to maintain you know, a white control of a county. Um, and it's a, I, I don't, who, who has a problem with that? You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, like you know, Merrill and his response back to my column, in which he's literally sent out a press release saying that he corrects uh, APR to Josh Moon on this. His resp- his problem with the gerrymandering uh, solution is that the independent, uh, in, they say five independents, but let me remind you that Bernie Sanders is an independent, which I would like to remind him, Bernie Sanders does not live in Alabama. Uh, you know, but it's just. <laughs> well, and, uh, I, and I think to his, oh, and, right, that's a great line, by the way. But to his point, which, I, you know, the point that he's trying to make is, well, they're liberal independents, where they're conservative independents as well. Yeah. You know, what do you call uh, yeah. Lisa Murkowski and Susan? Co- I mean, well, not, uh, well, Lisa Murkowski. She's an independent yeah. and she's a conservative, yeah. you know? So, yeah. And, and, yeah, it, it, it's just, it, it's insane, man. Yeah. I mean, and, and not to mention there are other things as a part of that is, you know, you, it, it allows for a public comment portion in there where mm-hmm. the public can come in and review these things. And that includes attorneys and other people that are interested That's and right. a lot of complaints about this. And yeah. then on the back side of that, if it still goes down with a district that people feel are unfair, there is a component where now people are allowed to legally challenge these districts Based on gerrymandering, mm-hmm. which is not you, you can't do that right now. Mm-hmm. Right now, you can't you can't challenge based on gerrymandering. You have to challenge it based on the constitutionality of the district. Right. That's the reason why a lot of these challenges always fail is because you have to go in and, and say that you know, your constitutional rights have been violated by this district, which right. hardly ever holds up. You have to have legal uh, standing, and they're and yes, they're, yeah. yes. Well, you know, and, this, and that's this, the reason why you don't. Yeah, and this this thing is uh, it's really re- it, the other problem with his opposition especially to that part of the of HR1 and SB1 is that uh, in the state of Alabama, it, it seems to me like he would actually almost be fine with this because in the state of Alabama, most people that are independents, at least in my experience, they're not liberals. Liberal, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're disaffected Republicans. You know, yeah. they're they're moderate Republicans who are disaffected or or something like that. They don't you know, liberals, they just go ahead and vote with the Democratic Party. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just, you know, it, I, and listen, I don't really have a problem with it, with this, the way it's set up. I mean, I think there are enough checks and balances here 
that you know it, it all works out in the end. Well, HR, uh, H- you know, HR one, Josh, you you've made the argument, and and I make the argument as well. HR one is reasonable, it's fair, and there's no reason for anybody to be against uh, these things that are outlined here, especially considering that some of them are already being implemented in other states. So we know they work and they can work fairly and safely. There's only one reason to be against this. And that's because you're afraid of losing power. That's the problem. That's really the bottom line here. And Republicans in other settings, Merrill hasn't addressed it, but in other settings, Republicans have literally said as much. They've Mm -hmm. said as much. They've said that if they don't do something about the current voting trends, that Republicans won't be getting elected any place. So they're afraid of losing power. That's what this is about. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And and because, I mean, just the argument in and of itself, let's say that Bernie Sanders did live here. Just the argument of saying, hey, this liberal independent is going to be on this commission uh, that's going to redraw district lines. um, That's not a. That's not a problem for for anybody. I mean, I wouldn't have a, it's the same way as it would be with the guys that you talked about uh, that that are here in this state that are independents, and yet we know that they lean conservative mm-hmm. uh, on this. I don't think I think once you set regular people in that room at, together to draw these district lines, and you have you have a group together, and all the ideas are there, I think everyone holds each other accountable. And you come up with a district line that is much more fair than it is if you have the ruling party yes. draw the lines. Yes. It's not, it's, there's no way around it. You know, because, number one, you have people whose own self-interest are at stake in these things. Mm-hmm. They're not going to draw themselves out of these districts if they have to. You know, uh, it, it, So it's just it's counterproductive from the start on a lot of these things when we, we're talking about doing the uh, the redistricting in this state. We know we're going to put people in that room to redraw these things who have a personal stake in there. And, and so that, that, that'll never work. And you're right. It is. They know that if regular people, I, hell, I would tell you that I wouldn't, I think, 10 regular Republicans. Just regular voting Republicans. If you put them in a room and gave them the laws and said, here, draw the district based on the census numbers, I think they would do better than the the elected officials and the attorneys for the elected officials that are in that room drawing these things. Uh, I just it just it's always blown my mind that this is the way we do it. And, you know, I know the old argument is, well, you know, uh, you, you're OK. Well, if we're, if we're going to choose a committee, well, then who gets to choose the committee? That's going to be just as politicized. I, no, it's not. It's it's not going to be just as politicized as what we're doing now. And I, this, mark my words, if this were to pass, this would be the most monumental change in Alabama government history. All right. This would alter the way everything in this state works. It would change everything about our state, about our state government, about the way these people think and about the way they operate. Because all of this nonsense about moving to the far right or the far left, uh, all that's off the table because now you have districts that include everybody uh, in them. For the most part, you'll still have some that are, that are off the charts and you're still going to have some crazies. All right? You're never going to eliminate all the crazies, no matter how you draw. Hmm. But you're going to have people that have to pay attention in Madison. You're not Mo Brooks ain't getting elected in Madison if you draw the, the districts fairly up in this in this area. All right, that ain't happening. Uh, you know th- those sorts of crazy people are gone from a lot of our districts. 
uh, here. And, and so I think that changes it. And all of a sudden you move people back towards the center and back towards compromise. And that forces people to focus on issues that matter to actual voters in this state. And I think you have a huge chance. Well, yeah, you're, yeah, I think I think what you're saying is, is, is exactly right about uh, in terms of what eliminating gerrymandering will do. What I really and I think that's important. But what I also like is that it that is that H.R. one further democratizes the voting process so that mm-hmm. you have basic common sense kinds of things like, you know, let's reinstitute or let's institute automatic voting across the country. You know, voter yeah. registration. I'm sorry. Automatic voter registration. Let's let's institute same day voter, voter registration. Let's. And this is a moral question. This one that I'm about to bring up. Let's restore the teeth to the Voting Rights Act. Let's make sure that we reinstitute Section 5. Let's make sure that we make it so that we can never have another situation where counties are able to unilaterally, especially counties that have a long storied history of discrimination, Yep. Based on race. Let's mm-hmm. make sure that counties like Shelby County in this very mm-hmm. state can't, uh, you know, enact these uh, these questionable, bigoted, discriminatory voting measures that uh, suppress the vote and that and that do so based on, you know, historic biases. You know, let's institute early voting. What's wrong with early voting? You know what? What's the problem with early voting? I mean, there there's so many there's so many things here. In addition to um, you know the gerrymandering reform that just make this again a beautiful piece of legislation that democratizes voting in ways that right now uh, Republicans again just to be brutally blunt and honest about it, Republicans are trying to to, you know, reverse and they, they want to make sure that, you know, they retain uh, power or, or have a, a better shot at retaining power. No, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, uh, talk, talking about the, you know, the restoration of, of uh, Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, it, it you know, when that thing was struck down uh, based on the Shelby County decision uh, in the Supreme Court, um, you know, the, the, the reasoning was is we no longer need uh, we no longer need these protections for these certain states because times have changed. Uh, you know, and, and they were they were you know, we're talking about the southern states because this is where you know you, you needed the uh, preclearance from the Department of Justice to change your voting laws, uh, and they had to come in and rule. That's the reason why Alabama had not yet implemented its voter ID law because the exact same voter ID law had been declared unconstitutional in a couple of other states, and so they were waiting around to see what would happen with this decision. Mm-hmm. Um, Here's the funny thing about that, that people doesn't get talked about enough. And I don't know why it doesn't get talked about enough is that section of the Voting Rights Act uh, there that said you had to go through these these steps for preclearance if you wanted to change things. You were only subjected to that. You could you could opt yourself out of that. You could apply to be opted out of that section or that, that coverage of preclearance there if you had not violated any of these statutes on based on race. In the past 10 years. So if you had managed to go 10 years hmm. without violating anything, you could apply and they would let you out mm-hmm. from, from being covered by this. Mm-hmm. Shelby County couldn't do it because five years earlier, they had drawn out a black man 
who was on the city council or on the county commission. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, they eliminated his district. Yeah. And that's the reason why they had violated that, that section of the Voting Rights Act. And that's the reason why they sued. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's the insanity that we're that we're dealing with here. These people saying that there's no race involved when there were clear examples right. of race being involved, which is why they were still under that section. Exactly. It's just, ah, you know, and so I just you're right. I mean, the whole bill, I think, is great. I think the whole bill is great. And listen, there are a lot of things in here about that I, as a as a reporter who've done this stuff for a long time, I think is great in terms of transparency on donors. Um, you know, and I, I just, I think it, it, it really changes the way a lot of stuff, no more secret money, no more dark money. Right. Uh, everybody, you know, you got to disclose who your donors are. If you're going to donate to political causes and campaigns, you got to disclose who is giving you the money to do so. And I don't know who in the world is against that. Well, um, people, and so, you know, again, people, what it really tells me, Josh, is that you know, uh, a lot of Republicans, uh, and I'm going to say a lot of conservatives, they don't really believe in democracy. They they want a democracy of convenience. They want a democracy yeah. that that only uh, only is a works or only is in place when it benefits them when things go the way they want them to go. If things aren't going the way they want them to go. You know, then they won't accept the vote. They won't accept the democratic process. Then they want to change the rules and manipulate it. You know, yeah. uh, I would like to think the Democrats wouldn't do the same thing. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's human nature. I don't know. But I know certainly in this country, post civil rights, what we've seen is a movement of the people to change certain things. And then we've seen powerful people. Again, uh, in the post-civil rights era, mostly conservatives and Republicans trying to change the, the, the name of the game, the rules of the game and everything else they can to try to stem the tide mm-hmm. of the move of the people. And, yeah. and and they also use disparaging terms like socialist, you know, which Mo Brooks is always calling a socialist. He's a damn fascist. Okay, if we're socialists, he's a fascist. You know, we can do the name calling thing all day. But in the final analysis, it shouldn't be about the name calling. It ought to be about what is right and what is true to the fundamental principles that this country is supposed to be espousing, which is the will of the people. Yeah, you're you're 100 percent right. And I'll say this about something that you said there, that you would hope Democrats wouldn't do the same thing, wouldn't act in the same way. And I think this bill is is kind of proof that they're not. Um, you know, this this gerrymandering yeah, yeah. portion of this that Great we talked point. about. Great point. Um, it doesn't just apply to Republicans. You know, it applies to every state in the country. That's right. Uh, Great so, point. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, there's a lot of, uh, listen, uh, the, the guy who's president and the people who control the House and the Senate, uh, Democrats. And so there are more uh, of us uh, of us out there at this point than there are of anybody else. And there is a, um, you know, this thing affects those states that have uh, Democratic control on things. It'll, it'll, you know, upset a lot of people that are in the Democratic Party because their district lines are going to be altered and they won't have as easy as a road, I think, anymore. Um, so that, I think that's a pretty good evidence that that's not the case. And Listen, anybody can take advantage of these absentee voting laws, uh, Sunday voting and uh, same day registration. It's not just Democrats. Mm -hmm. Everybody can do this. 
You know, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't apply to just black voters. That's it right. applies to everybody. That's right. You know, yeah. so I don't when you're when people are clamoring about how terrible these changes are, as John Merrill did, you know, when he talked about you know ballot harvesting is another one. You know, people say this as though somebody's going out and making up ballots for people, uh, filling them out and bringing them back. That's not at all what's happening. People are going out and collecting ballots from people who can't make it back to turn their ballots in at the appropriate places. It's legal in a lot of states as long as they are collecting sealed ballots from people that are properly filled out with the proper signatures at the bottom that match the other uh, the, the other right. registration forms. Right. I mean, this is what what are you what are you talking about here? I mean, they have made this into this is the funny thing to me is they they continue to make these things up about fraud and stuff, and when. 90% of the time, when we discover fraud somewhere, who is it that's doing it? Is it Democrats? It's hardly ever. <laughs> it's mostly Republicans that are doing it. I mean, it's just basic stupid fraud with, you know, however they're managing to pull it off. And it's just, I, I'm, I'm uh, uh, you know, uh, exasperated with this whole thing. Yeah, I also think it's, it's uh, hilarious that you have uh, people like Trump and and Mo Brooks talking about um, how things are fraudulent when, uh, you know, Trump himself always voted absentee, at least when he was in the White House. Yeah. You know, yep. he was, he was an absentee voter. You know, he yep. wasn't down in Florida. He didn't, you know, he had, to, he's, he's registered to vote in Florida. He's in Washington, yeah. D.C. What is he doing? Yep. Of he's course. He's mailing it in, baby. He's mailing yeah. it in. But but oh, we can't have that. We can't. He can do it, but the rest of us can't. Really? Yeah. Well, listen. He didn't say the rest of us. He just said all the white people. Okay. (laughs) My bad. My bad. I missed that. I missed that little nuance there. My bad. It's implied. Okay. He didn't. But it's implied. It's implied. He missed the implied part. Of that. Uh, but speaking of idiots, uh, let's uh, let's right wing nut this thing and uh, and get ourselves out of here yeah, because uh, we're stretching on here. Our, our right wing nut of the week is none other than Orange Beach Mayor Tony Keenan. He's one of the easiest the, votes we've ever had, by the way. On yeah, of the it's week. I mean because he's honest to God, man. Uh, if I die, I die from COVID. I won't die with a mask on, and I won't die hiding from it. I will die continuing to push for the freedoms in this country and my freedom as an American to make a decision about what's best for me. And that's sort of the way we approach it down here. Really? I, I mean, wow. I, I don't, I'm 500,000 plus people yeah. died from this yeah. thing. Uh, we have all the data in the world showing that the masks were very effective uh, and mask ordinances and shutdowns were very, very effective at, at stemming the tide at hospitals and uh, and cutting back on transmissions of this virus and probably save, you know, no time, hundreds of thousands of lives uh, with with the mask orders. And, and, and Kay Ivey, I would say with, with what she did in this state, probably save tens of thousands of lives, uh, you know, by, by being by taking heat. And she took a lot of heat. Uh, for this. And, you know, uh, I've, I've criticized Kay Ivey a lot, but I, on this particular issue, you know, I think that she has been uh, has been pretty good uh, about as well has done about as well as you could ever hope for from a Republican governor. Um, and, you know, I just I, I don't know where, where what in the world is going on with people like Tony Keenan. I, I don't I, I don't understand them. I don't know what world they're living in. I don't know how you are so disconnected from reality that this is how, what you convince yourself of. I, I just, I, I've never, 
I can't. I'll never understand it, man. And these people in history, I hope, are judged like the morons that they are. Yeah. Well, especially, I mean, especially somebody who's in leadership. I mean, this isn't just Joe off the street saying this. This is the mayor of an American city in a county, by the way, that has an infection rate of about uh, 9,100 confirmed cases per 100,000 people. According to uh, the Department of Public Health, that's a high infection rate. So you yeah. got this guy saying, there's been no super spreader down here. That's never happened. Well, based on what yeah. the Department of Public Health is saying, buddy, you're wrong about that. Yeah. You're yeah, wrong your whole about county that. is a spreader. Maybe maybe, yeah. maybe that's the problem is that they can't get a super spreader because the the county is so high. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's a uh, it's just a regular spreader down there for to get a, to have a super spreader. Uh, it's just, man, I, I, I don't know. I just can't. I, I really I mean, this he's running a beach town. Yeah. You know, where people are coming for on vacation and, you know, it just it, it would save so many lives if people like this guy and Trump and everybody else would just exercise some common sense and stop trying to cash in on every little thing that goes on here. Even when you know, and you can clearly see that it's costing lives because that's what's happening here, man. It's, it's costing lives. Yeah. And it seems to me like it would make a lot more sense for him to say, look, orange beach is open for business. Come on down and hang out if you want, but just be smart, be safe, wear your mask, socially distance yeah. yourself, sanitize, yeah. you know, don't gather in large, huge groups, just gather in small groups. You know, you can yeah. still come, you can still hang out, but just do it safely and smartly. If he sent yeah. that message, that would be responsible. But that, you know, you're you're 100% right. And, you know, you can make one hell of a marketing campaign out of, hey, Beaches are one of the safest places for you to go. That's right. During this pandemic. That's you know, right. Beaches that you can get outside with your family and enjoy yourselves at the pool, at the beach. You know, you can separate out from people. You can be outdoors where transmission rates are way low. Mm-hmm. You know, almost impossible for you to get it out on a beach. That's right. And and it's just, you, you could do that and, and, and be so effective. But it's just. Uh, and man, it, it, yeah. I just I, I don't get know. Some, I can't do get some get some pretty young ladies and handsome guys to have, uh, you know, matching face masks with their bikinis and and swim trunks or whatever it is guys wear. You know that would you know you could build a whole marketing campaign around that. I mean, it would be. I mean, there are lots of ways he could be smart about it instead of being a doofus, and that's what he's doing. He's just being a doofus. <laughs> you know what he's being. What's that? He's being a right wing nut. That's what he's right being. wing nut of the week. There you go. Right wing nut of the week is is absolutely correct. All right, I tell you what, let's slide out of here um, and uh, for the week, and uh, you know, y'all guys go about your business. Hope uh, hope everybody has a nice, uh, safe week. And uh, listen, the legislature back in town next week. Yeehaw! <laughs> <laughs> All right, till then, uh, we're out. Peace.